0: They called the man who had been blind and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we always do, to join us here this morning, no matter where we find ourselves, and we trust that you are in this place with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this has been another uh, quite a week. Uh, As if the coronavirus wasn't enough, it spent the first part of this week just pouring rain here, and then Friday was gorgeous, and then it was winter again yesterday. Uh, so we've been extra trapped in our houses this week. Uh, who sinned, us or our parents, that we should be treated this way? Uh, it, it does seem to me, though, that we've had two sequential, oddly appropriate readings for these seriously odd times these last two weeks. Last week, we had Paul talking about how we should rejoice in our sufferings. And then this week we have a similarly suffering-centric reading about Jesus' healing of a man born blind. But before we talk about the readings, I was struck this week uh, that these are some of the these are some pretty fringe things that we talk about week by week almost without even noticing. And I mean to an outside observer like, if an alien landed and picked up the Bible and started leafing through it, there would be some things in there that would make him raise his alien eyebrows. Uh, some difficult countercultural things, like Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or St. Paul saying something like, Wives, submit to your husbands. This is a book that includes stories of burning bushes that seem to talk, virgin births, and resurrections from the dead. I just had a conversation last week at a friend's birthday party, which ended with me saying, I actually believe all of this stuff, even the crazy parts. I even believe that a man got swallowed by a big fish and spit up on the beach three days later. In our reading this morning, it's not quite that crazy, But when you really think about it, it's a little crazy. Jesus is said to have healed a man by spitting on the ground, making mud out of the dirt and his saliva and rubbing that mud on the man's eyes. And if that wasn't strange enough, the man is then said to be blind so that God can prove some kind of point, that that God's purposes can be worked out in his life. And of course, you don't have to be an alien for this stuff to raise your eyebrows. You just have to not believe in God, that a God could do such a thing. Sometimes, uh, because of my browsing history, I guess, YouTube will suggest a video to me by one of the famous skeptics, you know, like Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins ranting about Christians, and they always inevitably so contemptuous. You can tell that they just think that people like me, like us, who believe in God, especially people who believe in the God of the Bible, are just fools. Like, how could you possibly believe all of this stuff a blind man made to see by rubbing mud on his eyes? I mean, really? And of course, they say it all in their learned British accents. But what even they would acknowledge, logically, I think, is that If there is a God, an actual almighty God, then that changes everything. Jesus is walking along and comes across a man who is blind from birth. Now John, the writer of this story, makes sure to mention that he's blind from birth so that no one can try to claim that there's just some temporary problem with his eyes and that it wasn't a legitimate healing. So a man, blind from birth, comes across Jesus, and the disciples ask, Who sinned? This man or his parents, for him to be like this? Who is at fault for this? And Jesus says this incredible thing, No one sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Here we come to our first important point about this passage, affliction, the afflictions that we deal with in our lives are not the result of particular sins. Now affliction is the result of sin in general. In other words, affliction exists because the world is a sinful and broken place, but your sinful actions do not result in your afflictions. I actually haven't heard a lot of this around the coronavirus because it's literally striking everywhere and everybody. But sometimes you'll hear people try to claim that some cataclysmic natural event like a hurricane or an epidemic has been sent by God to punish a particular people for a particular sin. Coronavirus, you might say, is a theologically accurate virus. Only sinners get it. And that means you. Uh, But Jesus is here saying that specific afflictions are not caused by specific sins. Hurricanes exist because all of creation groans under the weight of sin. But hurricanes don't destroy Haiti because of their practice of voodoo. Coronavirus is spreading across the globe and killing people because of sin, because of our sin in the Garden of Eden, but not because of whatever you might say, America's foreign policy or because of China's human rights violations. Jesus cautions his disciples that this man's afflictions is not the result of anyone's particular sin. Wouldn't life be easier if it was, though? Would tell a lie, grow a wart, kill a man, get hit by a car, cheat on your taxes come down with lupus. It would be really easy to look around and see who all the sinners are. Don't trust that person. He's got warts all over his face. He must be a liar. There would be a tried and true way to avoid affliction in your life. Just don't sin. Be a good person and nothing bad will happen to you. Of course, we are betrayed in ourselves by even having that thought. The, the desire for sins to merit specific worldly punishments is evidence that we think of sinners as primarily other people, right? Wouldn't it be good, we think, if liars grew a long nose like Pinocchio, then we could tell who they are. Uh, of course, we forget all the while that it is our noses that would be growing and growing and growing, So that's our first point this morning, that particular suffering doesn't come from particular sins, because we are all sinners, both because of Adam and Eve's original sin in Eden, and because we are like Adam and Eve in our sin every day. Now, there are, of course, real-world ramifications for your actions. If you commit adultery, your family may well fall apart. That's a consequence, yes, but not a punishment from God for that particular sin. The whole world is under judgment. and We all suffer together. But the part of the story that I want to spend most of my time talking about this morning is what happens after Jesus tells the man to go and rub the mud on his eyes and after he regains his sight. Because there's all this confusion about what happened. Jesus has healed this man on the Sabbath, And since healing was considered work, it was illegal to perform healings on the Sabbath. And Jesus has put himself in a bad light for the religious leaders. He is now a sinner. And so the Pharisees call the man before him and question him. And finally just ask him, what do you say about this guy who healed you? And the man called Jesus a prophet. But they're not satisfied, so they go talk to the man's parents to make sure that he was, in fact, blind from birth. And they find out, yes, he was, um, but they still suspect some trick. And so they continue to question the parents. And finally, the parents, in sort of fear, say, he's old enough to speak for himself, ask him. And then, convinced that because he did work on the Sabbath, that Jesus is a sinner, the Pharisees tell the man to glorify God by distancing himself From Jesus. They say, Glorify God, tell us he's a sinner, this man who healed you. And it's here that the man says the words that I want to focus on this morning. I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. This man can't tell them about whether or not Jesus should be allowed to work on the Sabbath. All he knows is that he can see after having spent his whole life in the dark. Last week we read the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. If you remember, at the end of that story, how when she is finished with her interaction with Jesus, she runs back to her town and says, Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. These two people, that woman and this man, have these interactions with Jesus and they come out saying much the same thing. Or more accurately, they don't really know what to say. They just know that this guy, this Jesus, has got something going on. Something great. Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. I don't know whether he's a sinner. All I know is that I was blind and now I can see. In other words, you've got to meet Jesus. Remember, Jesus told the woman at the well, straight up, in unambiguously clear language, that he was the Messiah, the Christ. But does she run back to her town talking theology? No. She doesn't say, come and meet the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for all these years. Just... Come and meet a man, a man who told me everything I ever did. And the statement of the blind man is especially instructive for us. I don't know if he's a sinner, the blind man says, the formerly blind man says. I don't know if what he did was right or wrong. I don't know exactly what's going on here. And we similarly might say, I don't exactly know how a bush could be on fire and not burn up. I haven't quite worked out what Paul means about husbands and wives. I know it's hard to believe that a man could be swallowed by a fish and spit back up on a beach three days later. One thing I do know, though. I was blind. And now I see. Now, Neither you nor I have come across Jesus as we walk down the street in the same way that this blind man did, but the formerly blind man's words still ring true for us. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. For us, though, it's not so much God's incarnate word, Jesus Christ in the flesh, who has opened our eyes, but his word in his holy scriptures, the Bible, that tells us everything we've ever done if uh, Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris who's the sort of contemporary version of Christopher Hitchens were to ask me why I'm such a fool why I believe all of these crazy things why I I put so much stock in this silly book I would turn to Romans 7 and read them this I do not understand what I do for I I For what I want, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and read a book that told me everything I ever did. I find myself so described by this passage. I feel just like that woman at the well. I want to run back to my village and say, come and meet this man who knows me so well. Come, learn about a religion which knows the truth of the human experience. But better than that, learn about an answer to the terrible problem of humanness. Come and meet Jesus. God for us. For us who can't do the good things that we wish we could do, who can't be as selfless for our children as we'd like to be, as good a spouse as we hoped we'd be, as successful a provider as we need to be. Meet Jesus, a man who knows us, knows everything we ever did and who then says, I have come for the sick and the healthy have no need of me. I came to save sinners. I came to save you. What St. Paul said to us last week in conjunction with the woman at the well bears repeating today and every day and every hour. You see, he says, at just the right time, while we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for you, and for me. It is Jesus who comes to you Recognizing your problems, you are blind, you are an adulterer, a liar, you are selfish, you covet what your neighbor has. He comes to you and offers you salvation in your weakness. This is the Jesus who we believe in. this is a Jesus that, as far as I'm concerned, can heal by spitting on the ground, can rise from the dead, can talk about things that I find discomforting, can even call me a sinner... Because God knows everything I ever did. And then he sent his perfect son, this Jesus Christ, to redeem me. When I'm at the end of my rope, where I spend almost all my time, I can submit to the hard and counter-cultural and seemingly impossible to understand things of the Bible. I'm like the man who was blind, I don't know about burning bushes or big fish. One thing I do know, though. Once I was blind, but now I see. And this Jesus has come to you as well, right now, to restore your sight, to raise you from the dead, and to give you life everlasting. Amen.